podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am your host, Tom Holmes, and sadly I'll be hosting on my own this week because Leanne is taking a much-deserved holiday, and I'm hoping she uh, was able to catch the game last night because that would be pretty pretty rubbish if she gets back on, on Saturday or whenever she's back. And I was like, oh, what's the City score? Um, but I've got two fantastic individuals to fill in for her this week. Uh, and we've got Stefan Vasilev, who is a first-timer on this podcast, despite writing lots of brilliant articles. So, Stefan, how are you, my friend? Have you recovered from last night yet? Oh, I, did. I actually couldn't sleep after the game because it was, I was like, like a little kid. My heart was pumping <laughs> all night. So, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I blame you. Yeah, you need to catch some sleep tonight. Yeah, you and me both. And uh, joining us both all the way from sunny... Are you back in Spain now, Adam? Adam Petrucian, who was, of course, on, on last week. You, are you back in Spain now, Adam? Still in Colombia. Still in uh, sunny Barranquilla. So uh, I watched the game at around uh, one o'clock my time here yesterday. So somehow it feels like I've had more time to recover. So I'm I'm ready for Everton. I'm glad someone's ready for Everton because I still can't stop thinking about last night. And and we're going to start with your article, Stefan, because you've written a brilliant article on the consistency of Liverpool centre backs. It's a really good statistical article where you sort of did a lot of digging into the numbers to sort of see who is our best centre back partnership has been our best individual central defenders this season. So why don't you kind of talk, talk us through your methodology, talk us through some of the numbers, and talk us through the sort of gist of your article. So uh, what I did, and I think one of my big problems with uh, statistics in, in football in general is that there's none available that you can actually get some uh, real data out of. Because you all see tackles and, and headers and draws, but that those don't mean a lot in the context of the game, in my opinion. So what I did was, and I did also this last year, but this year I took it up a notch. So I, I went through all the lineups that uh, Jurgen Klopp has used, every single lineup, and there's been a lot of them because he does a lot of rotations. And uh, I, I tracked every goal that he scored and which player was on the field when the goal was scored or when we conceded one. So I'll do, it, it will be a series of articles actually. I started with the defense because I think uh, that's, well, that's the, the area of the field that we struggle most in. I think it's kind of uh, obvious for everybody. So this is the basic uh, the basic methodology this year because we have uh, understat, which is brilliant. I also added XG and XGA to to the equation, and because the sample sizes for everything is very are very small, I uh, I also kind of created a method to evaluate how good the opposing team is based on the points they've won and the, the recent form around our game. And I put it in one whole mess of numbers. I actually created a database with it because it's, it was too much to, to do in, in, in other, in other tools. And, and that's, that's the basic methodology. And surprisingly, at least to me, it turns out that we can see the most goals when Joe Matip is playing, which to me was very surprising. But the, but then when you think about it, he played against City, he played against Spurs, he played in a couple of other games that were considered three goals. So it's also logical. And then it gets you thinking, right? It's really just is own is uh, Lovren the problem because. Lovren makes the high-profile mistakes that everybody can see. But defending as a whole, in my opinion, is is much more about the team than about the individual. So when Lovren makes a mistake, his teammates should be able to bail him out, which they very rarely do. And today I was, I was even thinking about the, the, the Spurs game, which was the turning point in our season. So both the the first and the second goal, most people would say it's uh, Lovren doing Lovren stuff. And, and they're right, because Lovren made mistakes. But then on the first goal, it's Joe Gomez, who actually plays Hurricane on side. 
And then on the second goal, James Milner has a chance to kind of bring uh, the Spurs player down, get the yellow card, and then make Hurricane go 1v2 against him and Matip. And, and while Lovren makes the initial mistake, his teammates then let him down a second time and don't do their job to prevent the goal. And the lineup stats, this is very similar if anybody is following the NBA to the NBA plus minus stat. This just looks at who was on the field when the, who was on the field when the goal was scored. And everybody who was on the field gets a negative point when we concede a goal and gets a positive point when we score a goal. Okay. So I think that's a really interesting setup. So what were the sort of the, um, if you had to sort of summarize in three sentences, what would you say were the main takeaways from your article in terms of what it means for our central defenders? So my, my initial idea was actually to compare uh, Lovre and Martin, but that, well, doesn't make sense anymore to do because, you know, unfortunately Joe will not play till the end of the season. But what, what struck me and uh, is the number of minutes that the, our center backs play together is very low. So we've played around 3,000 minutes this season, and our most used centre-back partnership is uh, Lovren and Matip, and they've only played less uh, around 900 minutes. So that's less than a third of the total minutes. And when you don't have consistency in your defence, I think it's it's bound to lead to problems because the defence must always act as a unit and cover for each other. And then Lovren has been um, in the team for... Four seasons now, and every season he's had a different partner, which probably isn't easy on him also. He also had uh, three different left backs on his left side, and the keepers behind him kept rotating until like two months ago when club decided to bin Minulay. So th- this, this small sample sizes, and it's always small sample sizes with our defense because they're always injured or something, something happens and Sacco decides to go on a snapshot run and, and everything changes. So when you don't have this continuity in your defense, it will lead to problems. And I think that's when Van Dyke helps a lot because he's a leader and, and leaders can work through that. And that's what we've been lacking for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you've said. I think it's a really good article. Um, uh, Adam, I, I appreciate you haven't necessarily had the most had the had as much in depth of a look at it as, as Stefan has. What were your main takeaways from the article, and what were your main takeaways from our from our defensive partnerships this season? Do you agree with some of what Stefan said about how consistency has been a real issue? No, that's a great point. You know, I think when Klopp is asked about that, he typically he sounds like he doesn't really uh, factor that in. You know, in his rotations or. Um, just the teams that he selects in general. Uh, you know, I definitely hear you that Lovren, he, he tends, the mistakes that he makes tend to be of the spectacular variety, especially when you look at, uh, when you're, uh, walking us back through the Spurs debacle there. Um, and with Matip, it just tends to be that he was a step too slow for whatever the particular action was and a goal results from that. And, you know, the goals count the same. So, I appreciate what you're saying, but I, I, I think there's also something to it where if somebody's making spectacular mistakes and you're on the team with them, it probably saps the confidence a little bit more. Of course, there's no, uh, uh, statistics to really define that, but I would, I would assume the other defenders are probably would get more frustrated with the mistakes that Lavern makes as opposed to the ones that the Matip makes, but that's purely speculation on my part. Uh, Tom and I have talked a lot about the fullback mistakes throughout the year, whether it be Gomez or Trent or uh, Moreno earlier in the year. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, as you mentioned, Gomez is uh, playing a player onside. The results in a goal. That's happened so many times uh, through the course of the season. It doesn't really seem to slow down. You know, last night, Trent was, I don't want to say he was spectacular. His, his work ethic like the way that he fought through the entire game against Sané was that was spectacular in itself um and he didn't make any uh critical mistakes obviously we got the clean sheet so you know maybe this could be a turning point for him we've said that in the past before and he's 
tended to come back with some of similar mistakes. He's super young, so obviously you think that he's got everything ahead of him. Um, but there's also a chance that he just ends up being a great midfielder for us as well. Yeah, good points. Um, so I want to go back to you, Stefan. I want to briefly focus on the uh, the Lovren and Van Dyke partnership because, as you said yourself uh, at the start of the article and at the start of this, this thing, you know, the whole point, the, the article was never supposed to be an analysis of a specific centre-back. It was supposed to be a comparison to see which of our centre-backs is going to be a better option between now and the end of the season. As we now know, Joel Matic is obviously not going to be playing again this season now that he's been picked up that season-ending injury, which is a real shame, but it does mean that we are going to be looking at a Lovren-Van Dyke partnership predominantly between now and the end of the season, certainly in the big games. We might see Ragnar Carvan play a few games and we haven't seen any the, 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 we talk about small sample size the sample size of Clavan and Van Dyke is literally zero so there's no point even you know trying to look at that so it, we're looking briefly then at Van Dyke and Lovren because this is the partnership that is going to be predominant between now and the end of the season um, looking at your numbers it seems like Lovren and this partnership in general are pretty average in terms of our defence but they generally have played against higher quality opposition. So what is your take on the partnership? Uh, I mean, you can talk about last night. I mean, Adam's already mentioned it. How impressive were they last night? And does that bode well between now and the end of the rest of the season? In general, they've been very solid, with the exception of uh, the United game, because they played three games, uh, big minutes in three games, and then uh, I think Lovren came in as a sub in another. So they played Spurs at home, uh, Newcastle, and... United. And then, obviously, last night. And when you look at the goals we conceded in those games, the Spurs game, I don't think we can blame the defenders for any of the goals, really, because Wanyama is never going to score a second goal like that, ever, maybe. And then the penalty was... I don't think you can blame Van Dyke for it in, in any way. And then there's a clean sheet against Newcastle, and then against United. I think this is more on Klopp than on Lovren, because... The, both goals were basically the same. Lovren stepping up, and then he vacates the space behind him, and nobody fills up. And in my opinion, somebody told Lovren to go step up and try to challenge Lukaku, and then nobody made sure that the space behind him is is covered. So I think that's more on the team and on, on Klopp in general than on Lovren. Even Klopp after the game said that no defender is going to win every header against Lukaku because Lukaku is huge. So, and they didn't make any other mistakes. And y- yesterday, they were all obviously brilliant, both of them. So, I think there is a lot to them. And even uh, I read some some interview with uh, Lovren's coach in, uh, in Croatia when he was a kid. Basically said, if you put a good, experienced, center back next to Lovren, he's going to look like the best player on the team. And I think we might start seeing that as he gets more familiar with Van Dyke. And obviously, I think now Robertson has uh, claimed the left-back spot, so he will also have a familiar uh, place on the on his left side. And we have a steady keeper now. So I think in the run-in, and especially in the important games, hopefully they both stay, stay healthy. I think they'll show th- their numbers will improve. Yeah, there's a couple of points I want to pick out from, from what you said that I that I agree with. The first thing is you said if you put Lovren with an experienced, good centre-back, he looks better. And this is something I've been saying about Lovren for two or three years now. Uh, uh, when you put him alongside a really top defender like Sacco or like uh, now Van Dijk, or even to an extent with Matic, just looks like a better player. He looks, he sometimes needs to be babysat through games in my opinion but when he is being babysat effectively he can be a really really strong defender the problem is if you put someone next to him like Martin Skirtle or to an extent Colo Torre or Lucas Labour even worse you know it's just a disaster because Lovren isn't capable of carrying someone who isn't as good in that area and when you put a, when you put a centre-back who isn't very good who isn't very strong who isn't necessarily experience to get alongside Lovren that's when the calamities start to occur that's when you start to see I think Lovren is, is definitely better as almost the second centre-back as taking orders and doing what he and you know being covered for rather than having to do all the covering because I think Lovren's a bit of an impetuous defender as well he does tend to step out of the back a bit more than some others 
and he tends to do bit you know he tends to to sort of rely on the rest of the team to sort of play around him whereas when someone like Skirtle who's just an absolute maniac does stuff Lovren was just in no position to actually cover for him um the other thing you said is really interesting is about fitness levels and that is a real issue that we've had this this season with our center backs uh I um Cy Brundish tweeted last night I think he said it was six games in a row is Lovren's record for being fit he's never been able to play more than six games in a row for Liverpool without picking up an injury which is extremely worrying and as he said we've potentially got 11 games left we don't know how many games exactly we're going to have left but it's between eight between eight and 11 games left in our season now Lovren's only ever been fit for six games in a row so there's every chance Lovren will be pick up a niggle between now and the end of the season. And if he does that, we are in trouble because Joe Gomez isn't currently fit. Clavan currently isn't fit, although we're hoping he will be fit sooner rather than later. Um, neither of them trained today. We're not expecting Gomez to be back for the second leg. Probably not Clavan either. So there are some real issues at the heart of our defence. And I, I agree with you, losing Matip is a huge problem. So Adam, how do you see the defensive situation shaking up between now and the end of the season uh obviously you can talk you can focus on the uh the Lovren van Dijk partnership but do you see others such as Clavan such as Gomez when he's back um potentially there's talk of Conor Masterson starting the derby so what do, what do you make of the um the situation in the position as a whole looking at the last as we say eight between eight and eleven games of the season probably ten yeah I mean Masterson is is interesting just because you know, it's always fun to have somebody come up from the academy, but uh, I have to say, I haven't heard his name mentioned as somebody who was expected to come through up until this point where we've been desperate for him to maybe come through. So, so that worries me a little bit. I I would hope that in the next few games, I'm not exactly sure what Clavin's injury is or how serious it is, but uh, you know, Liverpool, as usual, is saying is uh, is keeping pretty tight-lipped about the situation, but. Um, you know, I would hope that he comes back in the next couple of weeks, and then if if an injury occurs to either of the other center backs, as you're suggesting, then we at least have him in reserve. And then, you know, Emre is coming back as well. So if it was like an emergency situation, hopefully you'd have him as well. Most of the most of the clubs that we're facing outside of the Champions League are not so great. We have the we have the Chelsea fixture left, and that's critical obviously to sort of close out the top four but um other than that i hope that we can just sort of limp our way to the finish line and maybe even uh maybe even just close out top four altogether in the next couple weeks the soonest we can possibly do it is probably two three weeks from now uh yeah it depends on how chelsea do realistically um but if we can beat everton beat bournemouth and I mean, if we beat Everton, Bournemouth and West Brom, we're, we're, we're there, basically. It's just a case of... But, I mean, we should be fine from here on out, I think. But, uh, as you say, it's just about closing it out. Um, Stefan, given that it's your article, I want to give you the chance to sort of just take anything out else out of the article that you thought was really important or worth discussing. Um, any things that jumped out at you? Any partnerships that you want to see a bit more of? Anything like that? Um, obviously, we've talked about uh we've talked about the main ones really so we've talked about um Clark we've talked about Van Dyke with Matip we've talked about Van Dyke with Lovren mainly is there any anyone else you really want to kind of highlight that you think might be important looking forward well, uh last season I think around the same time I wrote a similar article about uh last season's partnerships and my and, and it was the same thing like um uh, Lovren had missed a lot of games Matip had missed a lot of games so they hadn't really played together a lot uh, Lucas played like, I don't know, five, six hundred minutes at center back, uh, which was a disaster. So my outtake last year was that when Lovren and Matip in the run-in, when they settle and play extended minutes together, we, we'll concede less goals. And I think that's what happened in, at the end of last season. After the Everton game, when uh, money went down, club kind of changed the tactics. We became a bit more defensive and we stopped leaking goals. And I think this can happen again this season. Obviously, now we have the Champions League, which is uh, a bit of additional burden to the to, to the players. But I think players playing together week in and week out 
just leads, leads to better results. I think every good defensive team in in the recent decade has had a set of back four. And Klopp this season with buying uh, Van Dijk, I think, is moving towards that. And that will lead to good results from here on, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I agree with you last season when you wrote a similar article basically saying, you know, we need to get Matic, Lovren on the pitch together as much as possible alongside uh, fullbacks that they can trust and a goalkeeper that they can trust. And it is kind of frustrating that once again, it looks like we're going to be going into the end of a season without really having any consistency in any position, really. I mean, the good thing is looking ahead of next season, we know, as you said, Robertson's pretty much nailed on to be our left-back for 30, 35 league games next season, hopefully. The right-back situation remains in the balance, but hopefully we can... I mean, hopefully Trent will be able to nail down a spot next season off the back of back end of this season, but that's, again, hard to say. And then, obviously, Carrius, we know, assuming we don't sign a goalkeeper in the summer, which I would say at this stage is looking unlikely, we know Carrius is probably going to be the first choice. So you've got a bit of consistency around the centre-backs. So it is just a case of finding that centre back partnership that is going to um, is going to carry you forward. And um, looking into next season briefly, it's not something I, I tend to like doing, but looking briefly into next season, um, we'll start with you, Stefan, and then we'll go to Adam. Um, which centre backs, which centre back pairing do you want to see most next season? Do, do you want it to be Matip, Matip and um, Van Dijk? Do you want it to be Matip and sorry? Do you want it to be Van Dijk and Lovren, or do you want it to be Van Dijk with someone entirely new? I think one of um, something that probably will go under the radar is that um, Matip and Van Dijk are both not going to the World Cup, so they'll probably have a full preseason together, and I think they'll start next season. I would probably prefer to have Lovren there because I think Lovren has been better than Matip this season, but I think Matip and uh, Van Dijk will start next season. Blasphemy. Um, Adam, what would your take on the centre-back situation going into next season be then, assuming Matic is able to get back fit for pre-season? Well, I think if it was a perfect a perfect world, a perfect scenario, then you'd have Gomez back there, and then maybe Gomez and Van Dijk end up being the partnership for the next 10 years or something. But, you know, uh, I think Stefan's right. I think I think Matip is, you know, listen, he's, he's the one that was brought in by Klopp, and so you have to figure that he is going to have a real chance at, uh, at being uh, Van Dyke's partner unless somebody high profile is brought in. So most likely is going to be Van Dyke and Matip. Um, I'll be rooting for Gomez. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> we've, uh, we've we've argued about Joe Gomez before, Adam, and we are we are not going to do it again. Um, I'm so I'm, I'm a little surprised neither of you mentioned possibility of bringing someone in in the summer because for me I would have said we need a centre-back in the summer and I would be surprised if we didn't bring in a, a genuine starter to replace either Matip or Lovren as the, as the starter but but I mean interesting takes from both of you there um, Stefan I'll give you the final word on this topic because um, it's your article is there anything else you want to add before we move on to discuss the second article well, I think it will probably be up on the site tomorrow I think it's, it's a good read. I, I put a lot of effort in it. And I'm also open to suggestions if anyone reads it because I think my methodology can have improvements. So if anyone who's good with numbers has any suggestions, please leave a comment. Yeah, I think I think before we move on, I think it is worth noting that the methodology that you put in place, the sort of the database that you put in place, is really, really statistically interesting from a pure mathematical point of view. So it certainly is worth worth a further look at and, um, and worth using worth using again in the future so we'll go on to talk about our second article of the day and this is actually one of mine um, and it's on uh, the mantra that uh, Cybernish likes to throw out which is beat the dross win league and um, that's not a mantra that Liverpool have but it's a mantra that's been proven false this season to an extent because um, as my analysis showed Liverpool are actually beating the dross rather effectively this season and we're still nowhere near winning the league, although in Brunch's defence, City are doing absolutely insane levels. So I looked at I looked at the data from this season and the last season for a, a number of reasons. I thought if you 
go back to see if you go back more than this season and last season, it becomes increasingly difficult to pin down what makes a team not like a weaker team in the league, shall we say, in the sense that, that if you go back two seasons, we were finishing behind Southampton and West Ham, whereas Chelsea were finishing 10th. So it's kind of hard to say with any clear certainty what who were the bigger sides in that season. But so I looked at this season and last season, and I, looked, I took the top six out of the equation. So if you ignore Spurs, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, and Arsenal, and if you ignore Everton, based on the fact that they were comfortably seventh to last year, and based on the fact that regardless of whether or not they're a good team, they are a big game for us because they're obviously our biggest rivals. So looking at the other 26 games in a season against the other 13 teams. So last season, Liverpool won 15 of those 26. They drew five and they lost six, which is a 50 points. That's just less than two points per game. And as I say, losing six is kind of the big one. We lost to Crystal, Crystal Palace and Swansea at Anfield. And then we lost away at Burnley, Hull, Bournemouth and Leicester. So that's 58% win ratio. And that's, as I say, nearly two points a game. But to lose six games against teams that you should be beating is, in my opinion, not great. I didn't think we were awful against the team below us last season. And the fact that we ended up getting about two points a game is, is fairly solid. It's about a 75-point season. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not spectacular. Whereas if you look at this season, we've still got four games to go because we've still got to play ball. Stoke and Brighton at home, and we've still got to go to West Brom. But we've already won more games than last season. We've won 17 of our 22 league games against the lower sides this season. We've drawn four, and we've only lost once. So we've already picked up 55 points, which is, again, comfortably more than last season. And if we get another 10, which is what we're on target to get, we'd be potentially 15 points better off against the, the worst teams in the league than we were last season, which is phenomenal. It's an improvement of over, over half a point a game. Because uh, we're currently on 2.5 points per game against the teams down the down the bottom end of the table, which is what you need to be doing, really, if you want to be contesting for the top four regularly, if you want to be contesting to be in the top two, if you want to be winning the title, you've got to be going and smashing the teams at the bottom of the table and getting getting 60, 65, potentially even 70 points from those sorts of games, which is obviously difficult, but something Liverpool have really improved at this season. So that's a 77% win ratio, which is really good. But I think the key difference that I wanted to highlight is the fact that that's 15 points more potentially this season than last season. And if you consider 15 points, that is the difference between scraping top four and challenging for the title, in my opinion. Um, I mean, we'll talk a bit more about the performances against the top teams, but we're scoring more goals. We're conceding a lot less goals. And in general, we've just been significantly better against the um, the lower opposition in the league this this year, which for me is a really, really significant step in the right direction. Um, so, uh, Stefan, I'll go to you first on this one. What were your thoughts on the article and what are your thoughts in general on our form against the uh, the lesser opposition in the Premier League? Well, I think there's um, a clear improvement, even if you don't look at the numbers, just watch the games. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of obvious. And you, you did a great job uh, crunching the numbers. I think there are a couple of reasons behind them. I think first one, and it's a major one, is our set-piece defending has improved so far this season because the weaker teams tend to rely more on, on set-pieces than, say, the Man Cities and the, the top ones of the league. And when you don't concede from set-pieces, that gives you a better chance to win against the, the, the weaker teams. And also, there is this... Maybe it's kind of a psychological thing. I'm not really sure. But when a weaker team scores against us to get the lead, their bus is really hard to break, harder than for a new nil. And that's a big part of, of the improvement. And then we have Mo Salah now, which is just is amazing. Um, no, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. I'm looking at the games we lost last season. Hull conceded a scrappy goal off a set piece. Swansea conceded scrappy goals off set pieces. Losing to Palace. I think Benteke scored a header off a corner that last season as well. Um, Bournemouth, obviously, we conceded lots of scrappy. We conceded at least one horrendous goal off a set piece. So, yeah, it, it definitely stacks up that of our, of our sort of the defeats against the smaller teams last season. A lot of that was down to... Um, set-piece defending. I think 
That's a really important issue. If you look at set pieces this season, how many set pieces have we conceded against the smaller teams? The only one that stands out is that one that we lost to Swansea, where we lost 1-0. That's the only one that jumps out at me from this season. I think that's the only, I think that's actually the only goal we conceded off a set piece in the league since the Spurs game. So that's, you know, that is a clear sign of improvement. Um, I did mention actually since that Spurs defeat, we've won 15 of our 17 points against um, lower opposition. That's 46 points from 17 games, which is 2.7 points per game. So that's, you know, that's where that's where we need to be at, really. I mean, I, we dropped the of, of our four draws against the um, the lower the lower levels. Three of those were in the opening uh, seven games of the season. They were against Burnley, against Newcastle. And um, uh, I can't remember who the other one was, actually. Um, Watford, sorry, Watford away on the opening day. Uh, and which, where we conceded two goals off set pieces. So I think I think you're bang on. I think set piece defending is a really, really important issue. And I think, you know, having someone like Mo Salah, who is a clinical clutch goal scorer who can just put these teams to bed, makes such a vital difference. Last season, we had a lot of players who were scoring good goals, but when a lot of them necessarily didn't turn up, um, it was frustrating. We didn't have anyone who could do what Salah can do. So I completely agree with that. Um, Adam, what's your take on it, either on the numbers or just on the general level of performances against the, uh, the, the lower opposition? No, it has been a lot better this season, and you guys are spot on. I mean, I think the set-piece defending is a big part of it. And, you know, if you drill into that, I think having Van Dyke and a lot of times Lavern in there or, or Matip is, is helping us as well because they're so much better in the air than some of the other previous centre-backs that we've had. And, you know, the other thing is just sort of being lucky, I guess. You know, we, we try to keep it to, to numbers on Anfield Index quite a bit. But, um, you know, one of the big things for me is that so many times we come up against sides that have just had a managerial change. And you just think back the last couple of seasons, all the times that we've dropped points against, whether it was uh, Everton or West Brom or Swansea, like right after they'd had a managerial change. Um <laughs> those add up over the course of the season or over the course of a couple of seasons that you're looking back at. So, you know, I think we've been a little bit more fortunate as far as that goes this season. And, um, you know, in general, you just look at our, our goal differences here. We're a much more dominant side than we have been. And uh, the lower sides, just they, they can't deal with that. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, I, do think, I do think you're right that we are lucky in the sense that and this is something I've mentioned before, the overall quality of the lower teams down the bottom of the table or in the middle, middle of the table especially, has really fallen off a cliff. I mean, you look at the teams that one of the teams I highlighted in the article was Southampton. Two seasons ago, Southampton finished above us. Last season, we drew with them twice. Both games were 0-0. This season, they've fallen off a cliff and we accumulated two wins against them. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a clear, a clear area where we've picked up picked up four points against the lower league opposition a lower level position you look at someone like palace all right we were a bit lucky at the weekend which was actually well you know beating palace at the weekend was the catalyst for me writing this article but they did not turn up for that, that first game they were absolutely woeful at anfield and it's quite rare that we get an easy win against crystal palace at anfield so it is partly that it is partly that we have improved against them because they've been worse but i also agree we've been a lot more dominant and um going back to you stefan how important do you think the pressing has been in all of this? Because for teams, I mean, we saw last night, even Manchester City couldn't cope with how good it was we were at pressing. So how can we expect teams like, uh, for example, Bournemouth or Stoke or anyone, how, how are they supposed to cope with how well we press? Well, I think we'll see on the weekend how big some copes with it. Just hoof it up and jump for a penalty if you can reach the box. But in general, I think uh, against lower sides, I think Bournemouth is an exception because they, they try to play good football. We, we have the ball a, a lot of the time and there aren't as many pressing opportunities as, say, yesterday against City. And teams just tend to go long and hope for a mistake like uh, Lovren did against uh, Man United. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, for me, I think we've just become... Uh, I guess smarter with the with the way that we press, you know, or you could say that we've adapted the press better to fit our players and the opposition in the Premier League. And what I mean by that is when you look back at, uh, like you mentioned Watford in the beginning of the year, 
we were pressing like crazy, but we would win the ball so high up the pitch that we couldn't really do anything with it when we, to take advantage of the speed of, of Salah and Mane. We were having issues with that, right? You know, Henderson would uh, win the ball back, try to put through a through ball for Salah, and it would just go out of play because there wasn't space to make that pass. And sometimes, I think against opponents like City, it makes sense to press that high. But then if we're playing against lower opposition, it probably makes more sense to sit back and let them come on to you first so that then you can counter from deep. So I think we've gotten a lot better at that. We're not just using one particular strategy. We were more adaptable. And last night was almost the culmination of that. I was incredibly impressed seeing Liverpool change tactics from a super attacking side to put through three goals against one of the best teams in Europe and then switch to a super conservative side that was comfortable having some of the best players in the world come onto them again and again and again. And that was that was my big takeaway from, from the City match. Yeah, um, I mean, well, I want to focus on the defence again briefly because comparing the numbers, for me, it's just, it's huge. Last season, we conceded 32 goals against the, the teams that are lower in the league. That's 1.23 goals per game. That's not good. That's really not good at all against that kind of opposition. Where we only kept nine clean sheets, and five of those five of those nine clean sheets came in the last six games of the season. As you mentioned, Stefan, you know, it was the end of the season where we kicked defensively. This season, we've already kept 11 clean sheets against the lower league opposition. Um, seven of those have been at Anfield. Only West Ham are the t- uh, West Ham are the only team in the bottom half to have scored at Anfield this season, and they lost that game 4-1. Um, we've conceded just 14 goals this season from 22 games against lower tier opposition. That's less than two and three. So that's really, really impressive defensively. I mean, we've already talked about set pieces, but how important are the likes of Loris Carries getting a significant run of games, Virgil van Dijk obviously coming in and getting a run of games. But I think another man who we haven't talked about yet in this podcast, who I think is really, really important to that, is Emre Chan and his role shielding the back four. So Stefan, how, other than set pieces, what do you think the difference has been in terms of how solidly we've defended against uh, a lesser calibre opposition? I think one of the things is uh, Lauren didn't make any notable lower mistakes against lower league, lower league sides. Uh, he just re- reserved them for, for the big games. And I think that's part of the reason we, we kind of suck in, in big games this season. And then the other is, I think, uh, as, as Adam said, we've gotten smarter with the press and we kind of um, cover better for, for the failed pressing actions. So when uh, the midfield goes forward to press, we have better cover this season, and if someone goes, uh, if they, the opposition actually manages to make a pass forward or dribble past a, a defender, then we have actually people behind the ball who can who can cover. And Embry is a big part of it. Yeah. And I guess and I guess we're ignoring that we don't have Mignolet and goal anymore either. That's part of it. And then Tom, like I wonder what you would think about the the crowd being part of it as well you know for for last night the crowd's getting a ton of credit for for the city result and then you know you're just not seeing as much at least on the broadcast it doesn't come through the nervousness towards the end of games even if we're playing a lower league side and 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 there were a goal up or something like that it, it used to be that you could sort of just sense the nervousness in the crowd even on the broadcast you could like almost hear a collective gasp every time there was a corner kick and you don't hear that anymore it seems like even just the, the supporters are more confident, and I think that possibly is translating onto the pitch as well. I mean, the, the number I, I completely agree with you, and the numbers would back that up. As I said, we've only conceded one goal against the team in the bottom half so far this season, and we've kept seven clean sheets against those sort of, that, that caliber opposition in general. So, yeah, we clearly are massively improved at home defensively. Um, Leicester and Burnley have obviously both scored there as well, but... Um, but yeah, we clearly have improved at home, and I think you're definitely right about the atmosphere playing a big part in that. There seems to be a confidence, there seems to be a more patience as well. Patience, to me, is one of the key things. Uh, we saw against the likes of Huddersfield and Palace, and to an extent, someone like Southampton. The games just, when they drag on at nil-nil for a bit longer, the crowd aren't as impatient, they aren't on the team's back as much. Because there were times last season when, if the, the team was panicking because the crowd were panicking, and Klopp has been begging the fans to stop doing this 
after you know after 45 minutes after an hour if the game is still nil nil or if the game's only one nil or if we're god forbid one nil down the crowd would start to get restless they'd start to get on the players backs they'd start to panic and that induces panic in the players and this is something that we've seen over the years quite a bit and it's something that that Klopp has highlighted and it's something that is starting to change and I think yes obviously a lot of that's down to how we're playing on the pitch because if we defend better in general it's 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 cause and effect doesn't it you know if we defend better on the pitch fans are going to be more confident we can defend properly therefore they're going to be more confident and that is going to radiate back onto the pitch um and if and, and, and so you know it works almost as a cycle games like last night I think are very much I mean last night was very much a one-off um in the sense that that is the best defensive performance we've turned in in a long, long time. Um, it's been very rare that we've kept a clean sheet against the top six side that has turned up and put in a good performance. I don't think City turned up and put in a great performance, but this City side are more than capable of, of playing a lot better than we did last night, and we absolutely shut them down. Um, so clearly, the evidence would suggest that maybe maybe it's the atmosphere, maybe it's not, but certainly we've started to, to use Anfield as a weapon against the lower the lower tier of opposition, and uh, um, it's interesting. I, I thought we scored a lot. More. I thought we would have scored a lot more goals, but we haven't scored a lot more goals. We've scored more goals, but we haven't scored a lot more goals. So I think what it is is that we're scoring goals when we're two three and up, as opposed to when we are at two two or or two three or something like that. So it, it's getting to be that there's a calmness about the way we're scoring goals. It, it's entertaining football, but it's not the sort of chaotic ping-pong of 13-14 or even of last season. It's starting to be uh, it's starting to really be a degree of control in the way that we're playing these games. And um, So, Stefan, we'll go to the other side of the coin now because this is something that you've looked at before. We haven't improved on last season as a collective whole. We maybe maybe finished with one or two more points than we did last season if we're on our current rate. We might, you, we're going to be on pretty much on our level. So what that means is that despite significantly improving against the teams that we would be expecting to be better against, we've, we've lost out somewhere against the top six, particularly away from home. So what are your thoughts on how we can bring the two together? Is it a case that the style that Klopp's doing is only compatible with one or the other? Or do you think we're getting better at sort of putting together a more complete season? Luck has a bit to do with our misfortune against the, the top six because uh, we haven't really been outplayed for a, like a big stretch of time in a, in a game against the top six. Obviously, City battered us when money was sent off, but before that, it was a tight game. So it's kind of, it's kind of. I, I think we just it's it's the other sides are just lucky against us for some reason. So if you look at Chelsea, they scored a full goal to to draw with us. Spurs got somehow more penalties in one game on Anfield than we have all season. Arsenal would collapse for six minutes and they scored with all their shots. And it, it, I think it has to do more with luck than performance. I think generally, other than the Spurs game and the second half against City, our performance has been good and we should have gotten more points out of those games. Yeah, that, that is something I'd agree with, to be fair. I think we've had a, we have had a bit of bad luck against the top six this season. Do you think, Adam, it's maybe just the case that some of the better managers in the league are starting to maybe not find an answer to Klopp? Because as we saw last night, Pep hasn't got an answer to Klopp at Anfield. But do you think it's starting to be that maybe the Mourinho's and the Conte's and um, the Pochettino's, do you think they're starting to sort of work out a little bit what our our strengths and weaknesses are and are therefore maybe in a better place to attack us this season than some of them were last season? Yeah, for sure. I think you'd have to say that the top six managers uh, figured out a way to counter what we were doing to some extent. And I would say going into next year, if I had to make a prediction on it, I would say you probably revert to the mean a little bit in terms of our performance against the top six. It'll probably come out somewhere in between because, you know, Klopp has obviously, you saw last night, he, he figured out a way to, uh, to combat what they were doing to counter uh, what we had done last year. And, you know, if you go into next year, I think, will they have another answer? Will they have another answer to what Klopp is doing now? You know, the one thing that I would say, I think you can't really overplay how much of a difference the Navigator is going to make for the side. 
And that's going to affect everything that we've talked about today, including like the center back partnerships and how they exist in that different environment. Because when you were watching the game last night, it was sort of miraculous how we were able to control the match, even though we couldn't, uh, until Genie came on, really nobody could hold on to the ball, it seemed like, after we sort of started sitting back a little bit. And that's something that Navigata is really good at, at carrying the ball through the midfield. So if we're able to get up on teams next season, they're gonna, I, I don't know what their answer is going to be because, and, and Keita, he's also going to be part of getting up on teams because of his, how well he, he performs in the, in terms of like the press and, and, and defense. So, you know, I'm really excited for next year. As long as we don't have significant losses, surprise losses in the transfer window, then, uh, you know, Going back to what you guys are initially asking about in terms of the, the numbers and where we're going to end up in the top, uh, against the top six and against the, the draws, if we can perform somewhere in the middle of where we did the season prior and this season, uh, in terms of how we, uh, in terms of the number of, number of points that we're able to put up against the top six next year, plus we get 60, 70 points against the draws, it would take another incredible season from City or United or, or one of those teams to be able to outpace that. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think it would just be nice if we could show clear improvement. If we can get, as I said, 65 points against the Dross, that puts us in a really strong position to go on and get, you know, if we get 20 points against the top six and Everton, that's 20 points from 12 games against that opposition, that would put us on 85. And now 85 is, is contending. That is that is in exactly, the mix. Exactly. I think one thing we're um, kind of ignoring is is Coutinho. Uh, I think he isn't very good against park buses for some reason. Even in even Barcelona have struggled with him against park buses, which is strange. And and you talked about earlier about the the patience. And I think the patience kind of comes from not having field to just shoot from outside the box, which on occasion and more than one turns out great, but then kind of ruins the flow for the rest of the team. And I think that's made a difference, a positive difference against weaker sides. And then what Adam said earlier, that we don't have any midfielders who can hold on to the ball, and that's when we misfield against top sides. So, for example, the first game at, at Anfield, the way we defended, if we had Phil in midfield, I think we would have scored at the counter at least once and just closed out the game. That's a very good point. And that's where, as Adam says, Nabi Keita coming in. At, at least Nabi Keita, because we're expecting at least one more improvement to that midfield, will make a big, big difference. So it is really interesting to see how we are shaping up next season. But, um, but for me, at least, I think we should just be enjoying the improvement against the, um, the lower level opposition, because as much as as much as your season is going to hinge on the 10 games against the top six, it's going to hinge more on the 26 games against the opposition. And as I say, for me, it just comes back down to that, that base, that base number, assuming we pick up 10 points from our last four games, which is what we're on, on course to do, or even somewhere close to that. It's, it's 15 points. That's the difference between, as I say, 15 points difference between top four and, and, and a title, title chase. Maybe not, not winning a title, but it's the difference between, you know, putting yourself in the mix for top four. And um, putting yourself in title, and I want to just finish on a quick comparison to the other top six because 2.5 is the best of any of the other top six sides apart from Man City, who have got 2.74 against um, wow. opposition this season, and 2. Point, and 2.63 against the top six. They've won seven of their eight games against the top six. That is, I mean, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to compare our numbers. So I didn't, but yeah, to compare our numbers to cities, 2.5 is our numbers against the draws, 2.74 is cities. So that's over the course of the season, that's about nine points more, which is when you think about it, that's that's not bad to be within nine points of city, just off playing nine points off a city side that are the best ever, just off the 26 games against the um, the lesser caliber opposition. And as I said in the as I said in the article, 2.5 games over a season is 95 points. Obviously, getting 2.5 points is a lot harder against the top six, but if you can get somewhere close to it, then you're in business. Okay, so I will give you gentlemen a chance to plug now, because I think we're 
pretty much covered anything. Is there anything either of you want to just add on this topic or anything we've discussed today before we um, before we finish up? I guess the one thing that we left out is we have to get a little help from the referees, right? Definitely. That's that's always important. Uh, and we, we haven't had the luck from the referees in the top six this top six games this season. Uh, almost, as Yeah, I mean, you could look at almost every game we played against top six and well, we've not done as well and pick out at least one bad refereeing decision. But, but yeah, it, it's just been one of those seasons in terms of refs. It's been very, very strange. Okay, so... Um, Stefan, I'll start with you. Is there anything that you want to want to push from this week or anything you want to plug? Well, my article should be uh, up on the site tomorrow, I guess. And then if people like it, uh, I'm actually doing a series. So I look at defense now, then I'll look at midfield, and then I'll look at the, the team as a whole. Because I, I don't think looking at attack makes sense because even not having the numbers in front of me, I can tell you that our attack is amazing. So. Yeah, so that's for me. And Adam, anything you want to plug? Yep. Justin Wells and the LSC NYC have been sort of leading the way on the Sunset NBC movement. You've probably seen it on your Twitter timeline. I have an article coming out to increase awareness of that. Uh, essentially, we're trying to get the sun off of NBC Sports broadcasts and any other journalists, Neil Ashton or anyone else who they might bring on. Uh, check out the article. It'll be out in the next couple of days. Um, and check out Sunset NBC, Sunset NBC on Twitter. And uh, let's stand up as a fan base, just like we did last night, and, and force NBC to make the right decision. Yeah, a really good article, Adam. Um, I've obviously got this article out on the Tross, and I've obviously got um, got this podcast out. So I will do what I always do, and I will keep um, keep pushing this show. I'll keep pushing all of our writers on Anfield Index because this show just simply would not work without having fantastic people to come on every week. Stefan making it his, his debut tonight always delivers top quality articles. Adam obviously um, was on last week doing one of his articles and Adam's always a good writer. Uh, but there are so many more brilliant writers on the site who make this show what it is every week. And of course, my fantastic co-host Leanne, who, as I say, is on holiday this week taking a well-earned break. Uh, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with that, organising... Organising this show without Leah has been a lot harder than normal. Uh, it's yeah, I didn't realize didn't realize quite how much I was, I was uh, leaning on Leanne to help with until I until I went off solo week. Um, but thank you so so much for coming on, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week, same time as usual. Okay, so thank you very much. Goodbye. Podcast Network.